less than 100 days. That's what it feels like with me, man. Although I'll tell you, it also sounds a little strange in here. Okay, now it sounds better. And uh, all right, welcome to the Michael Slate Show. Yep, that's me. As usual, there's always going to be some something happening, something going on that's going to make you twist around. All right, we 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 have a very very sharp show for you this this time, and it's one I want to jump into right away. All right, but this is the Michael Slate Show, and I'm your host, Michael Slate, as you would suspect. This week, the website Revcom.us published a new statement by Bob Avakian, revolutionary leader and the author of The New Communism. It is something terrible or something truly emancipating. Profound crisis, deepening divisions, the looming possibility of civil war, and the revolution that is urgently needed. A necessary foundation, a basic roadmap for this revolution. If you go to Revcom.us, along with the text of this statement, you can listen to the entire piece being read by Bob Avakian. We'll be talking more about this important work in next week's show. But today, at the back end of the show, you'll hear something from the Revolution Nothing Less show, which airs on YouTube by Bob Avakian, which will give you an idea of both his understanding of the world and the problems facing humanity and his ability to communicate his ideas. So stick around for that. You don't want to miss it. And now, opening the show up, we'll be talking with author and activist Paul Street. On a dystopian hellscape that humanity is facing. All right? I can never get those words all together. One, because it just makes you so damn angry, but it's, uh, it's going to be important that we're talking, with, we're talking with him today. In November, author and activist Paul Street wrote an article for Counterpunch, A Dystopian Hellscape Beckons, 21 Dark Clouds Over 2021 America. This is on uh, Counterpunch, on counterpunch.org, and I really recommend that you go there and read it, all right? I, I was just really bumped up on it, all right, uh, having done that. I really recommend that you go there and read the whole article. But right now, I'm very happy to, to welcome Paul Street back to the show to talk with us about this. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Um, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. Cheer everybody. I'm just trying to cheer everybody up for the Christmas season. You know. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. Yes. I forgot. I I forgot that was in my title. I remember the 21 dark clouds, but yeah. <laughs> okay, man. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking. What the hell, man? <laughs> this is something. This is something that if you're not saying what the hell, I'm really worried about you. You know, that's a, that's a big thing. So, why don't well, we? You know, if you're not if you're not terrified, uh, you're not paying attention. Uh, this this is getting really heavy. Yeah. We're, we're, the situation is getting yeah, really, abs- really absolutely really really heavy. Uh, I also want your listeners to know that I've got a book coming out at the end of the month. It's called This Happened Here: uh, Americaners, Neoliberals, and the Trumping of America, and you just Google all that up, and you'll come right to it. Absolutely, it. and and yeah. we want to be uh, we want to be there in the front lines of your book coming out. All right, so as soon as you get that book comes out, great, we'll jump on it. All right, well, look, so, the, um, you ahead. know, um, it, let me let me let me um, let me provide a little context here. Um, when I say things are getting heavy and dystopian and and dark clouds and all of that, if you ask me, um, there's three big sort of dark clouds uh, um, hanging over, not just over America, but over humanity. One of them's been there since 1945, and it's sort of every year that we go by where the lunatics in charge of the nation states of, this, of the world haven't launched World War III, we're lucky. So thermonuclear war, that's a, sort of the standard one, right? Mm-hmm. Two, climate catastrophe. 
ecocide. Ecocide is not just the climate issue. It's a whole bunch of things. It's, it's, it's extinction. Um, it's land use patterns and so forth. But the climate is in the vanguard of that. That's a little different than the nuclear war one. Uh, every year we go by and then they don't blow up the world with nukes. We're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the climate thing, every year that goes by and nothing is done significantly to reverse it, it just gets worse and more existentially precarious. Uh, it is fundamentally rooted in capitalism, the expand or die system of capitalism, which is addicted uh, in investment terms to fossil fuels and intimately related to the, the uh, rising carbon issue is the menace and the threat of tipping points, whereupon uh, that danger takes on a life in and of itself. I think um, more and more we have to be thinking of pandemics and pandemicide as a subset within the capitalist-generated ecological catastrophe. And the third one, and it's a lot of what this article that you're talking about um, is about, is fascism, mm-hmm. uh, um, which is the big topic in my next book, This Happened here uh, and if fascism, and here we're not just talking about like one of six parties in Belgium, you know, or France or Germany, but about one of the major two only viable capitalist parties in the most powerful country in history, and the most powerful country in the world, the most dangerous country in the world, the United States. One of the two parties really has now crossed over into fascist space, and if fascism wins out in this country which has power that Hitler could not have dreamed of in 1941, that the Third Reich could never have imagined. Fascism wins here and elsewhere, because you have Bolsonaro and you have Hungary and you have, you have a, there, there's a global issue too. Uh, the chances of fixing one and the chances of fixing two, and of course two is really uh, all about capitalism and fascism is a, sub, is a superstructural change in capitalism, but still capitalist. Uh, then there's no chance of fixing uh, um one and two. Uh, and for me, it's not just about uh, uh, the Republicans. I also, in my analysis, have the Democrats as sort of the uh, Weimar junior partner collaborator in the fascitization of this of this country. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's really important the things you're saying. And I want to go back to those, something, something that you started out with, with that, which I think people who aren't familiar with what you're saying or, you know, with what you've done, it's very important. And that the first point in your article is that the fascist beast is uncaged and chomping at the bit for vengeance. And you talked you talked about the lack of con- consequence for January sixth. That, for instance, um, to oh, the attacks yeah. to the attacks on teachers and school boards and public uh, public health officials and local election officials. You know, to basically right. you, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, when, um, you know, when I talk about fascism, it's really rather specific. An organization I've been affiliated with for the last few years, Refuse Fascism, would often get accused of, uh, you know, just extremist juvenility and just throwing the word around it in a reckless kind of way because, you know, it's just, our, it's just this leftist way of, of um, smearing things we don't like. It's not true at all. Very specific about it. And it, 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 fascism... Among many things, it includes a sort of vengeful nationalism and violent racism and cult of personality and untruth, but fundamentally is about a, a rejection of normal, normative, longstanding bourgeois democracy and, and a determination to go beyond uh, constitutional rule of law and the embrace of political violence. You know, and, and in January 6th, literally, the deployment of mass racialized 
political violence to reverse, to, to undo the certification and prevent, it was a last-ditch coup effort, to, to prevent the certification of a normal parliamentary bourgeois election, you know, and, and the chief instigator of it. By far and away, the chief instigator. I guess if there's anything new that's come out since I did my last book about January 6th, it's the depth and the degree of the White House buy-in and the elite coordination. We're learning more stuff every day about how involved Trump is with it. Uh, and the chief instigator of this, and of course, there's so much more, including a pandemicide that is probably responsible for half of the U.S. Uh, COVID-19 deaths, is running free. It's likely to be the 2024 nominee for the Republican Party, is not in jail, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and, and that's just astonishing. And we know from his first campaign, one of his campaign managers for 2020, Brad Pascal, has said uh, that he's visited him recently, and, and he wants back, Trump wants back, and it's not for any policy reasons, it's not with any particular, uh, um, you know, strong vision, it's for vengeance, it's for vengeance. He wants to punish and eliminate his enemies and show um, who's boss. And um, that could well happen for various reasons I talk about in, in the article. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell people real quick that um, basically, folks, you need to get this. You need to get this and read it and read the article and, you know, just follow along in here is, is fine, but I want you to really read it and think about what's being said and what needs to be done. Now, you know, tell me this, man, because as I'm doing this, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, of course, you know, it's not just a bunch of goons that are out in the streets um, that's there. The, the, there's, there's support for a fascist USA from the police and their, their spokespeople. Yeah. And there's Tucker Carlson pumping out all fascism's talking points and, and from, from anti-vax uh, disinformation to the uh, anti-immigrant great, great, um, great replacement theory. How do you see this? You know, because you, you spent, I mean, you're right in the middle of this and you're actually, people are looking to what you're saying and what you're doing in, in a way of understanding what's happening. So let's talk about that. How do you see this all coming together? And what are the fascist talking points? Well, it really doesn't look good. It's quite grave, particularly unless we have some sort of mass political intervention in, in the streets and the public squares and in the, in the political process that the Democrats don't seem to have any interest in bringing about. You mentioned uh, Fox News. Uh, five nights a week, there's the Fatherland News uh, um, hate hour. That's what I call it, the hate hour. That's from Orwell. And, um, you know, he defends a, a violent murderer of civil rights protesters like Kyle Rittenhouse. And, you know, he can even bring out people like Glenn Greenwald to chime along in, in uh, supporting that. And, of course, they denounce so-called critical race theory, which is an anti-intellectual way they have of justifying an assault on teaching basic truths about the role of race and racism in American history, you know. But at the same time, uh, um, Hannity... And 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 um, and 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 Carlson, basically with a grip on, on on a major media outlet here that is the basic source of information for millions and millions and millions of white Americaners. I call them, and they advance fascist replacement theory. I wish that phrase would catch on. FRT. It's, it's this bizarre notion that there's a, a globalist, uh, leftist, corporate Marxist. Uh, uh, elite liberal conspiracy to replace the virtuous, hardworking, good, true Americans uh, with people of color, immigrants and, and black people and so forth, who are accused of being inferior and lazy and criminal and indolent um, and, and so forth. And there's a very strong racial 
overlay to all of this. I mean, really, they don't say it, but really behind and underneath the claim that the 2020 election was stolen, which is an utterly absurd claim, been disproven many times over, is a white racial resentment over the fact that it was non-white votes that uh, led to Trump, who had been uh, uh, briefly thrown down into the bunker by uh, a um, a pro-black civil rights rebellion called the George Floyd Rebellion, and then was exempt, and then was kicked out of the Oval Office through an electoral process. Not the best way to have gotten rid of Trump. We should have gotten rid of Trump through a mass movement. But in any event, we did vote him out. It was heroic and remarkable that we did. And it was it was black and Latino and Native American and non-white votes that were largely responsible for that defeat. And so there's a big really strong racial aspect to this white nationalist neo-fascism that is um, rigging the electoral process quite expertly and quite craftily and quite strategically, particularly at the state level and setting up 2024 for a full return to uh, three branch across the board national power for, as I say, a party that has gone essentially now uh, neo-fascist. Mm-hmm. You know, let me let me remind listeners that you're listening to the Michael Slate Show, and we're talking with Paul Street. And and basically, I wanted to you know the, the stuff that you've laid out is all very important, and it's stuff that people don't normally hear. And you know, many people have, have, have said that the U.S. is like two different countries, you know, and oh, yeah. and that it's not just the fascists in the streets. The Republican Party is now there, a fully uh, fascist party. Um, right. It's now a fully fascist party, and it's out there, and this reflects a split in the ruling class, the ruling, the ruling elites, um, a part of the rulers who are going for it, a fully fascist form of rule. And that's something that people actually, you, you should, your head should sort of spin around a little bit when you read that. And I wanted to know what you think about that, because you're one of the few people that's actually talking about the reality of this. You know, um, not just, you know, this is an important point. Uh, we, we, I'm not just talking about uh, the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers or the Three Percenters or something. We're talking here, and Refuse Fascism has been talking consistently about uh, uh, not just one of five or six parties in a European country. No, the, the other, the second of two, the only two viable capitalist parties in the country has gone fascist. And incidentally, it's the most structurally empowered of the two parties, that seems like a strange thing to say because we nom- we have nominal democratic power uh, in the White House right now in Congress, so probably not for very long, and uh, and and because of the constitutional electoral college and the two senators per state, no matter what their population is, apportionment system in the U.S. Senate, and because of gerrymandering, which is just going completely through the roof right now as we speak, because of those things. Uh, uh, the Republican Party is the most structurally empowered. It's a, we have a minority rule system in which the Republican Party uh, is, is rules way, way beyond its actual popular support. The Democrats have to win many, many, a much larger majority of votes in elections to prevail in elections. And that's just getting worse with the voter suppression and the election nullification that's underway now uh, on an escalated level in, uh, under the name of the big lie in the red states of this country. The ruling class um, used to have a kind of cohesive uh, uh, connection. Uh, well, I don't want to go into all of that right now. Let's just put it this way. Uh, uh, I think um, that, that probably a majority of the corporate and financial elite, if you ask them, 
privately would, would prefer to retain the old parliamentary bourgeois democratic cloak over their underlying class dictatorship. And that's what bourgeois democracy always is. It's capitalism. Capitalism is a, is a de facto underlying material class dictatorship. I think they prefer it, uh, but it's out of the bag now. It's been let out of the bag. Their system has generated it. It has let it out of the bag. There are parts of the ruling class, uh, uh, wacky fossil fuel people and military industrial people and, and maybe smaller scale, uh, uh, medium-sized uh, heartland uh, uh, um, investors and, and bourgeois and so forth that really are committed sort of neo-fascist white nationalists. They resent the advances that black people have made since the 60s. They resent feminist gains since the 60s and the 70s. And they re resent um, immigrant rights. You know, there, there, is a, there is a revanchist section of the elite. But even in the part that isn't, that would prefer to retain the sort of neoliberal Obama, Hillary, Biden, uh, 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 we just buried Bob Dole, Bob Dole, centrist facade of bourgeois democracy. At the end of the day, do they really care? Uh, can they really stop it anyway? I'm not, I'm not sure that they can. Uh, um, it, it's so structurally empowered. The right, rightward, the far rightward lurch of this country is deeply structurally empowered in the 18th century constitutional order. Um, they can get by with Fox News and with small donations, even without the huge corporate funding. And if the profits keep flowing, then what the hell? The American ruling class has made alliances with and collaborated with fascism abroad since Mussolini up through Hitler. It has sponsored and trained and funded and supervised third world fascism across the planet um, all through the Cold War and since then. And, you know, if the profits keep flowing, it's kind of like the, uh, the uh, Melania Trump jacket uh, that she wore a few years ago. I don't care. Do you? And uh, they'll, they'll make a deal with it. They'll, 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 they'll make a deal with it. Uh, and they, they don't have a cohesion to stop it or, or possibly even the power to stop it now. And they will make a deal with it. I'm, I'm going on about it. But you yeah, get my point. No, but it's important. And, and I think, look, it's not just, it's not just like who, what they have in a certain sense because it's also there's – a, there's a, basically the, the society is being split in a very, very, very dangerous, you know, a very dangerous way in, in terms of, Absolutely. you know, and it's something that, that keeps hitting people, but we have to actually, but too many people are letting it slide by. And when you're talking about all this, I mean, this is the thing, you know, you said two different, we have two different countries. It's not just the right. fascists in the streets. The Republican Party is now a fully fascist party. And this reflects, a, this reflexes a, a split in the ruling class, the ruling elites, the part of the rulers yeah. who are going for it and a fully fascist form of rule. You know, and when I, I was going to ask you about, okay, let's dig a little bit more deeply into your your thoughts on that, and and it's at the same time we also have a, we have a pro, we have something that's there of, of that we have to really figure out how to make, you know, basically dig in with and work with people who are opposed to this, people who are seeing all this stuff. It's very important that, that people actually begin begin to understand what is going on, and then what they can do about it, what they need to do about it. Well, you know, one thing that's rather disturbing, and, uh, you know, you, you do hear all this stuff in Democratic and liberal media on MSNBC and to some extent on CNN about existential threats and existential menaces. And, and they, they get it at a certain level. They get that the electoral process is being completely rigged. And Barton Gelman at the Atlantic, Atlantic has written a brilliant article about uh, how, did, how 2024 is shaping up as a constitutional coup 
with violence in the background to be used if required, but very possibly not, uh, uh, at, least, at least not until the protests after the election. You know, but there's this sort of underlying assumption that there was a democracy before all of this, and, and there wasn't. We, we, bourgeois democracy has always been a contingent democracy. Popular input and popular opinion is tolerable insofar as it um, is, is perceived as being consistent with profitable operation of privately owned means of production, distribution, communication, and so forth. And it's, it's always dispensable. It's always dispensable. And, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe they got the hand, maybe they're reading the handwriting on the wall right now. You know, the, the old fashioned democracy may well be done in a neoliberal era when the top thousandth owns uh, uh, as much wealth as the bottom 90%. I think the planet is, is, is full. You know, there's no more escape valves. It really kind of is socialism or barbarism. A guy who called himself socialist, he wasn't, but he called himself that. And he's pretty popular, named Bernie Sanders. Damn near got one of the major party presidential nominations in both of the last two presidential election cycles. I think that shakes them up. I think the 24 million people that took to the streets uh, in the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake rebellion of 2020, I think that shook people up, you know, and um, I think they just, just figure what the heck, you know, that was nice. Uh, um, you know, that the two centuries, whatever, of bourgeois democracy is nice, but it uh, doesn't seem to be the trend in the world uh, of authoritarianism, but I think it could be very nasty here. The American model of authoritarianism is heavily overlaid with patriarchy and racism that go back and are foundational to the, the beginning of this nation, and we have a armed, a gun saturation that I think is unparalleled anywhere in the planet. It's just astonishing how many guns there are afoot. So, I mean, I'm personally concerned about not just the fascism, but something that could take on a, um, a really bloody and genocidal aspect going forward. I mean, I'm just my guns here. We're my military style uh, assault weapons. Um, we can thank the um, neo-fascistic NRA for, um, you know, get, get, getting those in the hands of, of just untold masses of, of truly demented people, many of whom think that uh, the 2020 election was stolen and are really pissed off about it. Mm -hmm. Now we've got to make a quick, quick, quick announcement, and that is you're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we're talking, we're talking today with Paul Street, and we're talking about what's happening, you know, basically... What the hell is happening in the world right now in terms of the, the, the way things are shaping up and the dangers that, pe that are facing people? And what can that actually needs to be done about it? Now, Paul Street, I got to tell you this, man. <laughs> um, you know, part of this is, and it, it, it really gets to me because you're talking about all this stuff. And I keep thinking about, you know, here's this thing about we talk about the ruling class, the ruling elites, a part of the rulers that are going for it, fully fascist form of rule. You know, that is not things that people just normally think is like, you know, okay, Maybe it's happening, maybe it's not. But there's a lot of people who should know better that don't know better and are actually looking at things from a different standpoint. It's like sort of it's the same old, same old, same old, you know, and just a little bit, you know, a little bit less, you know, a little bit less dangerous. But, you know, all this other stuff are, you know, a little bit less, uh, you know, willing to work with it and just sort of saying, well, you know, we don't really have to do worry about it. Come the next election, it'll all be overdone. It'll be done. We'll have everything, you know, everything will be back to normal. Whatever is going on. You know, there's not a pendulum swing in a certain sense if you, if you want to deal with it that way. And too many people think that there is. 
I don't know if you want to talk on that for a little bit. It'd be, I'd really like to well, hear. Well, you know, there is something in the liberal and uh, and um, even the progressive community uh, that the right doesn't have. There's a there's a tendency to uh, turn everything into a um, get out the vote program. You know, so let's turn George Floyd into a vote for Biden thing. Let's turn Occupy into a uh, defeat Mitt Romney thing. Everything tends to get sucked into electoral politics, and then. They demobilize. You know, the right never demobilizes. It never stops. It's relentless. I mean, it's absurd that the right wing are the Leninists here, that they're the strategic people. They are constantly, they're a movement. They're constantly uh, uh, working to rig the system. They have studied um, the 2020 election. They have studied January 6th very carefully. And as Barton Gelman, who's a liberal Democrat, not as radical as me, but as he very intelligently shows in his recent uh, Atlantic piece. I'm blanking on the title of it right now. They are quiet. Well, not quietly. They are openly and explicitly changing the rules of the game at the state level. By the way, the right understands the importance of state level politics in the way the left just doesn't. What happens in the red states is really, really important. What happens at the state level? It's the most neglected area level of uh, politics. The ruling class on Trump they were in, uh, unbelievably uh, um, ready to play along with him uh, until like 99% of the way through his term when January 6th was just a step a little bit too far. And there were some denunciations that came out from corporate America. They got a little pissed off by an open fascist assault on, a, on, a, on an election, right? Uh, and they've already, there are Boeing and other big corporations are already back to the funding of um, the right wing. Uh, the House caucus members, you know, but they were fine with Charlottesville and they were fine with kids in cages and they were fine with just the unbelievably violent and racist and horrible things that Trump did, including uh, 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 trying to have a military uh, repression of the um, of the um, of the George Floyd rebellion. But, uh, you know, th th we do deal now. And part of the equation is we do deal on the left now. I mean, even after January 6th, it's faded since January 6th, but all through Trump, I was catching hell from a certain type of leftist, uh, um, so-called, typically a white male and more than 50, 40 or 50 years old, but a lot of them, uh, sometimes calling themselves Marxists, who just, just were in la-la land and, and were calling people like me and other anti-fascists hysterical you know, uh, uh, for thinking that Trumpism represented a real fascist menace to the country. And they had all kinds of ridiculous ideas, a big exaggeration of how working class and how proletarian the Trump base is, which thereby made them complicit in the fake populist branding of the neo-fascist uh, GOP. And, you know, a lot of false accusations of being uh, in bed with and, and accommodating of the Democrats, I mean, which is just and anyone who knows my writing who thinks I'm soft on the Democrats is just laughable. But we would we would catch this. Oh, you're soft on the Democrats because you talk about where the Republicans have gone. Utter, complete, total, abject nonsense. In my analysis, consistently, the Democrats are complicit in and part of this. We just talked about the uh, pointing everybody to the um, electoral politics. I consistently, through Trump, said uh, the way to remove this guy, and so did refuse fascism, and so did some others, some anarchists and some other lefties, 
uh, said the way to get this guy out of there is the way the people of Puerto Rico got rid of Ricky Rosario. It would set new terms. It would create a, 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 that would have been the way to, to evict this uh, fascist president. And, um, you know, the downplaying of racism and the downplaying of sexism uh, and the claiming that anti-racism and anti-sexism to not see that leftists have a, have a, their own version of anti-sexism and anti-racism and anti-fascism and to fold it all into bourgeois liberal identity politics and bourgeois liberal virtue signaling, both of which are problems and exist. Uh, um, it's just really despicable and very problematic. And I've been at war with, and in my last book, I have a whole subsection on this uh, really strange and uh, depressing Trump and left phenomena. I, I, when I first came up with the term, it was kind of, I sort of meant it as a joke. I was kind of kidding. You know, it was a characterization of a bunch of people I was getting emails and social media messages from. And it really caught on. Uh, and it turned out to be describing a whole wing of folks. There, there really is a problem out there um, in what passes for a left on fascism and Trumpism, less after January 6th. A lot of people sort of, I mean, it's like, how do you deny it after January 6th, right? But, but still, still out there. It's really kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's actually, yeah, it's kind of bizarre. It's also just looking at the thing, you know, when I was reading and preparing for the show today, I kept thinking about all the, the, all the various things that people just actually, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of denial on the part of people, but there's also people just don't get it or they don't know it or it's not available to them to figure out and, be, uh, and, and to get to and, figure, and be able to figure out what's going on. But you, well, you know, I, 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 I don't think it's just coincidental that about 90% of this crap that I've caught on the so-called left is from older white males, right? And, and related to it is a very economistic or political economistic concept of fascism that deletes completely the racial nationalism mm. and the racism and also the patriarchy mm. uh, and, 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 and tends to uh, accuse people who focus on those aspects of the menace on the right of being collaborating with um, bourgeois identity politics and, and virtue signaling. And it's, it's really wrong. It's, it's really wrong. There's a left approach to race. There's a left radical socialist communist approach to race um, and to gender uh, and, to, and to immigrant rights and to, gen- and to uh, sexual orientation that has nothing to do with, with those uh, uh, bourgeois liberalism and everything to do with anti-capitalism mm-hmm. and anti-imperialism, which sees racism and patriarchy as foundational to the growth and expansion of American capitalism and American imperialism, and points out that to really seriously address issues, for example, of race and racism, uh, uh, is something that, that capitalism and American imperialism can never do. It never will. Uh, but framed properly in a, in a, in a, in a left radical uh, way, it's, very, it's actually quite radical to get serious about race. It's actually quite radical to get serious about gender, depending on how you approach the topic and the context within which you discuss it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, one thing that actually got me in, in very, very much in terms of what you've been putting forward, and I would like to, you know, dig into what you've been saying more around that, because it's actually, these are the questions that are facing people today. I mean, even you're talking about um, what would the world look like if we go along with a fascist American? It looks like a Gilead, the system from The Handmaid's Tale, especially around the rights of women as, as well as the oh. educational system. And I'd like to talk about that for a little bit, too, because this is something that people, you know, it's not just the question of the change in the, in the way that it's developed and the things are presented to us, but it's actually what is the actual, what's the, what actually happens 
in the, in the, in the, in the, in the sense of what we're getting now, where we're at now, what's actually, what's happening in the society now. And this is something that's not just falling in place. It's actually something that is being particularly, you know, put there and, and uh, things are being chased, not as, you know, oh, just it happened. There's actually a real, real movement to be well, what we've been know, talking you about. You, you mentioned Gilead and you mentioned, um, so that you're bringing up the abortion issue, I think, to some extent. And um, while um, there's some decent liberal activism uh, I, and, and commentary on that right now, pointing out that the neo-fascist, Christo-fascist right is completely hypocritical on right to life because they uh, because you know, we have people here who are uh, uh, um, upset about vaccine mandates as a as a government uh, tyranny so called against the body, but then are completely ready to to have the, the government uh, for, uh, impose the forced female enslavement of uh, involuntary pregnancy and for, forced pregnancy. It's just ridiculous, and not to mention that the right doesn't uh, you know this is the right both fascist and pre fascist you know is 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 against uh, basic supports, you know, safety nets for children, right? So they're, they're anti-life. Also, by the way, they support ecocide and the destruction of liberal ecology, which is kind of anti-life. So, you know, the liberals are good at that. But then they, 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 they what I've noticed is, because I've been at some demos about this issue, they're, they're framing it as a single issue, and they're not getting the connection between the right-wing position on uh, life. And they're also now increasingly more and more the same people who are uh, on board with the assault and critical race theory, that they're on board with embracing political violence. The anti-abortion people are, are also uh, have bought into the idiotic notion that the 2020 election was stolen. They're ready to embrace political violence. I, I can go on about that. And, and secondarily, they're also downplaying the need for the liberals or the need for mass resistance in the streets. They're surrendering in advance on Roe v. Wade. It's really kind of pathetic to behold. And this is very a typical liberal kind of thing. They just don't want to get serious about things um, and take it to the streets. Um, you know, what the world would look like would include that it would be a patriarchal Gilead state under fascism and increasingly not just in the however many states that, uh, that have terrible abortion laws, but I would expect that to be extended and expanded in a, in a, in a fascist America, to, uh, probably to the whole country at some point. But it would be a world in which, um, I mean, the reason, the only reason well, the main reason to have broken form, and I did with my usual alienation complete from the electoral process, and to vote for Biden to come in was just breathing room, some breathing space, some, 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 and COVID quite literally, you know, because the, the COVID policies of Trump were just awful. They were pandemo fascist. But, but to, to have some breathing space to try and organize against this underlying class dictatorship of bourgeois rule and the and the empire that's intimately connected to that they're sort of joined like twins you know at, at their foundation empire and capital um there's no there's no chance for resistance that's the point of fascism under fascism under authoritarian rule uh under the rule of the fraternal order of police and 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 a politicized military and paramilitary thugs in the streets and you know kenosha was very much about coordination and cooperation but the classic sort of fascist uh, um, co coordination collaboration between state gendarmes and and extra state paramilitary um, in that kind of world um, uh, you don't you don't you don't get to organize for anything and you certainly don't get to organize for socialism which we desperately 
we desperately need eco-socialism if humanity is going to have any chance. There's no space. Uh, um, you know, I, I, wanna, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I'd rather, I'd prefer to live in a bourgeois world where I don't get uh, a, a bullet in the back of my head and thrown out of a helicopter uh, for my left-wing beliefs. And, you know, just in case anyone thinks that's a wild kind of thing, Trump embraced the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys marched in Washington, D.C. with T-shirts that said not only six million wasn't enough, uh, meaning six million Jews wasn't enough to kill the Holocaust. They also had T-shirts that said Pinochet did nothing wrong. And they're quite serious about that. And what did Pinochet do? Among other things, he had leftists thrown out of helicopters. They will do that at some point. I think first they go after the liberal elites, but um, leftists, including, <laughs> including some, people, some of my uh, enemy Trump and leftists, uh, uh, will catch hell uh, further down the road. Down yeah, the road. yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to wrap up real soon, but I, I wanted to ask you, you know, it's, it's, it, this is, I, th I think this is really important here, this last question. I'd, I, I could spend another hour talking with you about it, but, yeah. you know, this, basically, all this is occurring at a time when we have the greatest crisis facing our species. You know, the environmental destruction that's on its yeah. way to changing the nature of, all the, of, the, of the planet itself. And there's a widespread problem of passivity. Some of it brought on by the, the, the way the, that uh, the system uses elections, like, you know, you vote every year, every four years, and that's it. How are we going to deal with this? I mean, this is what seems to be something that's really right there. And people do ha have to not only just recognize that it's here, but they actually have to figure out how the hell are we going to deal with this? Because this could, in fact, be the end of it all. Uh, you know, I would say already has changed the planet. I, I just, uh, I noticed here it's Christmas season and I'm in Chicago. And um, I've noticed this for the last few years. It's uh I mean, I don't have to tell anyone about the weather changes, but I mean, it, it feels like Missouri and Tennessee now up here, and it has for a while. So, you know, we already have changed the planet, and it's not just a weather change. We are on pace uh, for the melting of the Antarctic uh, in 2050. Climate, younger climate scientists, uh, child um, uh, raising or, or uh, bearing age are not having kids right now because of what they see, uh, what they're projecting coming forward. And, uh, you know, this is fundamentally about capitalism. You can't just can't blame fascism for this. This is the expand or die, fossil fuel addicted, anarchy competitive, chaotic global system of capitalism, of course, led by the United States. So, um, you know, you, <laughs> what can we do about it? Well, it, it, it is very important to keep authoritarianism uh, in all of its forms and, uh, and here in this country, the fa it's fascist forms. And at bay, it does have to be defeated. I mean, the ballots are fine, but it's going to have to be defeated in the streets because there's no chance of stopping ecocide uh, uh, or any of the other uh, maladies of capitalism under fascism. That's the point. Fascism never breaks with capitalism. Fascism is a superstructural change within capitalism. It's born of, uh, of, of modern industrial era capitalism. Uh, and I think, of, you know, naming the beast and naming the enemies uh, is really, really critical. And talking about the difference between the politics of who's sitting in the White House every four years. Well, oh, OK, we voted and everything's OK now. No, the politics of who's sitting in the streets in the public squares, I think, naming the beast and being in the streets. And those two are related because when you really get serious about what we're up against, things like ecocide, pandemicide and 
fascism, when you get serious about those things and the connection between them, you can't just you can't just sit on your couch and be armchair any more. So, you know, it's great that Barton Gelman and liberals at MSNBC are talking about existential menaces, but we really need to call it out for what it is and to talk about uh, um, uh, uh, about the need for something far beyond the type of activism that the commercial sponsors are uh, at MSNBC and CNN, the New York Times and Washington Post are ever going and, and are ever going to be comfortable with. And um, that's a struggle and that's agitation. And that's, that means um, struggling with people and, and uh, engaging them. And so an outlet like this right now, where we're having an honest discussion about that is very, very important. We need a, we need a thousand more of these. And, um, and um, you know, um, all right, Paul, we're going to have and to we can't give up. You know, the chances of doing this might be one in 10 or two in 10 or three in 10. Why bring them down to zero and 10 with fatalism and pessimism in advance? Absolutely. All right, Paul Street, thank you very much for joining us today. And I hope we'll, ju- we'll, we'll hear from you again before too long. Hey, super, Michael. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Uh, you're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we've just been talking with Paul Street and Paul, you know, Paul's a very interesting guy. He's the, he's basically, he's an author and activist and, uh, he's on the dystopian hellscape that, uh, humanity is facing. He's always talking about that. And it's important that we actually realize this. Okay. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back. So stay tuned. Ein, zwei, drei, sphere. Strange things are happening, Lord, I don't know what to do. My friends say it's in my head, I say it's deja vu. It's all too familiar, been down this road before. I believe it was in Germany. Just before the war A meanness swept the land Stealing our hearts and the hands of time All right, now we're going to hear from Andy Z, co-host of the Revolution Nothing Less show, who will introduce Automatically Disqualified, a clip from Bob Avakian. When you listen to it, I think you'll see the connection to what Paul... When you listen to it, I think you'll see the connection to what Paul Streep mentioned in the interview the democratic intellectuals who oppose revolution, and even anti-fascism. This was broadcast before the Monday, December 13th release of the news statement. Next, we want to bring you a segment of a film, a talk that Bob Avakian gave in 2012. BA Speaks, Revolution Nothing Less. This film is six hours and 18 minutes. It's just an incredible tour de force of the whole thing of the new communism. Uh, In this talk, he has a segment that I'm not going to give away what he says, but he really speaks to why so many people today are unable to imagine a different world. This is something he sharpens up in the new talk that is coming out on Monday. And we thought it'd be very appropriate to play it today, because I know one of the questions that came up in the Revolution Club meetings we had listening to the first part of this as well. So many people aren't even thinking about what's really going on in the world. 
Baba Vakin speaks to that in this segment. And I think you're going to get a, a, a deeper sense of uh, how Baba Vakin is somebody who has a very visceral understanding of the masses of people and how that is combined with a very high theoretical level. And then how, it, particularly in this segment, how he's able to break that down in a way that everyone from a graduate student on the one hand to somebody who's never been out of uh, uh, middle school can understand. So we want you to watch this segment now and I think you're gonna really get a lot out of it. And it's gonna prepare you for the talk that's coming out on Monday. Now, in this context, it might be useful to think about the contrast in response to a system of oppression and the possibilities offered by the oppressors, the contrast between the response of a slave who seeks at most minor conditions, minor changes in the conditions of slavery, or the response of the serf in the Middle Ages who cannot imagine a world without his lord and master owning the land and dominating the work and the very lives of the serfs, who cannot imagine a different world than, a, than the one in which the place of everyone, from the ruling monarch to the lowly serfs themselves, is predetermined by a supposed God and reinforced by religious dogma. All that on the one hand, but in contrast to that, the response of the conscious scientific freedom fighter and emancipator of humanity. What the latter, the conscious freedom fighter and emancipator of humanity knows, which the slave needs to know, is that only by getting rid of the system of slavery can there be really any meaningful change in the position of the slave. And the same applies to the serf. Only by abolishing that whole system can the possibility of something radically different and better be opened up. And the same is true in relation to the current system of exploitation and oppression we live under, the capitalist imperialist system. But we have a problem. The problem is we have a lot of bourgeois democratic intellectuals thinking like serfs. You go out, you go out and you try to talk to them about some kind of thing radically different. No, 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 we gotta make sure the Democrats stay in office. You say, well, yeah, but look, the world could be a completely different way. I can't imagine that there could be anything better than our system of democracy. We just have to make it work better. Yeah, but look, there was a whole history here of communists. Oh, don't talk to me about communist revolution. That was a nightmare and a horror, and it just proved what I'm saying, that there's nothing better than this system. Bourgeois democratic intellectuals thinking like serfs, <laughs> unable to see beyond the confines or refusing to see beyond the confines of this system. And I want to introduce a phrase into political discourse. I got it from a movie, and I'll talk about it in a second. The phrase is automatically disqualified. <laughs> if you come up to anybody and start saying, I want to talk about freedom and democracy, and then you want to go on and talk about our great founding fathers, you are automatically disqualified. <laughs> Now, 
I mean, somebody needs to tell these people, you do know that you're talking about slave owners, right? <laughs> you do know that the first, out of the first five presidents of the United States, four of them were slave owners. You do know that, don't you? Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, they were slaves. You do know that's what we're talking about. People who owned other human beings and viciously exploited them while they were denouncing the slavery of the British monarch imposed on them. Automatically disqualified. Now, I got this from the movie High Fidelity, which is a movie about, played by, main characters played by John Cusack. And he's a guy who owns what used to be called a record store, now it's got to be called a music store, although I see there's some revival of vinyl. <laughs> but anyway, he owned a record store, and during the course of these, the goings-on in the record store, some of the employees there, one of whom was played by Jack Black, would get into discussions about what music was great music and so on and so forth. And at one point, one of the other characters mentions a song, I believe it was by The Temptations. And the Jack Black character says, automatically disqualified because of its association with The Big Chill. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the movie The Big Chill. But The Big Chill was a movie very consciously made by Lawrence Kasdan, whom, if I remember correctly, was actually part of SDS back in the University of Michigan in the 60s, and then turned his back on it. And this is a movie that's consciously made to say to all those kind of people who were part of the upsurge of the 60s, particularly the white middle class youth and the student movements, anti-war movements, it's okay for you to have turned your back on all, right, on all that. It's all right for you to have settled in and accommodate the system, accommodate to the system and go along with it because now we know better. That was the whole point of the movie. And it's captured in many scenes, but one in particular stuck with me. And that's when there's a woman, I believe it's played by Mary Kay Place, who became a public defender to help people out. And think about how insidious and vicious this is. They're going back and forth. She's talking about how, you know, how disoriented she is, disillusioned she is. And all these people she has to defend as a public defender. And they said, well, what, other people said, what do you expect? And she said, well, I expected they'd all be Bobby and Huey. I'd never thought they'd all be so guilty. Now think of the viciousness of this and what message it's delivering. And it makes me furious. Look, there have been people from among the press nationalities, black people and others, I've known some, who've given up and sold out and stabbed people in the back. But there was a phenomenon when we went out in the 60s. We would go out into the neighborhoods of the oppressed, spreading the, spreading the word of radical change and so on. And a lot of people were very positive toward it, but some people, if, if they got the nose a bit and felt like talking to us down on the ground, would say, look, you white people, you come out here and you say this and talk all this stuff, but when this is all done, when this movement ebbs, you're going to go back into your lives and get comfortable with this system and leave us here once again. And it makes me angry that so many people have allowed that to be what they've done. I think of the movie, excuse me, the song by The Clash, London Calling. I don't know what they were getting at, but I want to take one of the lines, London Calling, and they say, come out of your cupboards, you boys and girls. 
And I feel like saying to all these people who once knew better and should know better now from out of the 60s, get the out of that place. You know that you were right when you recognize the criminal nature of this system. You know you were right when you knew there was a radical alternative that was better. Get out of that whole shit of accommodating the system. Come out of your cupboards and join with the movement. Get back into the thing where you're doing something real that means something and is fighting for the oppressed. Whether they do that or not, we have to win many, many more people, older and especially younger, to be doing just that from all different parts of society, but especially among those who most urgently and desperately need this revolution. So don't come talking to me about the founding fathers and Jefferson and Madison. Well, yes, people say, but you gotta understand. See, that's the way everybody saw things in those times. People didn't know any better in those times. Everybody thought that slavery was just a natural part of things, and eventually it would die out. Don't try to tell me that nobody in the time of Jefferson and Madison knew better. There were many people who knew better, not least of which the slaves themselves. And here's a fact. I referred to Adam Goodhart. Unfortunately, he just put this in a footnote in this book, 1861. But he did have it in there. He, he recounts that this man named Edward Cole, Edward Coles, who for a time was private secretary to James Madison and later became the governor of Illinois, freed his own slaves and then tried to convince Madison and Jefferson to do the same, but they refused. So don't tell me people didn't know that there was another possibility and it couldn't have been done differently. Jefferson the big hero of American bourgeois democracy, not only was a slave owner, he was actively using his presidency and his prestige to fight for the extension of the slave system. That's a big part of what the Louisiana Purchase in the early 1800s was all about, which at the time expanded the, doubled the size of the United States and provided an avenue for the expansion of the slave system. And don't talk to me about Andrew Jackson, the great populist hero being upheld these days, who was a slave owner and who then forced the Cherokees, who had gotten into a bad place, some of whom, and actually gotten set up on plantations and owned slaves themselves, but then when it was decided that they needed more room for Europeans to come in and do that, under Jackson's direction, these Cherokees were sent on the Trail of Tears, marching across huge expanses of territory and harsh conditions with many dying, including children, all along the way. Don't talk to me about the founding fathers and the great populist slave-owning leaders of this country. If you do, you are automatically disqualified. That was Bob Avakian, revolutionary leader and author of The New Communism with Automatically Disqualified. So go to revcom.us and read, download, listen to, and share the newest statement by Bob Avakian, something terrible or something truly emancipating, profound crisis, deepening divisions, the looming possibility of civil war, and the revolution that is urgently needed, a necessary foundation, 
a basic roadmap for this revolution. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. I want to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, my production assistant, Jeff Pryor, and each and every one of you for tuning in. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas about the show, or if you want to volunteer to be part of the show, write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Once again, that's mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. We're going out with what else? London Calling by The Clash. Come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls. Talk to you again next week. Cause London is drowning out